Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. It is good to be together. This has been the never-ending summer, and I'm here for it. As somebody who lived in Arizona for about 10 years, summer something I look forward to now, and that's a, that's a new reality here. Last week in this summer season, we kicked off our series looking at the first 14 verses of the book of Colossians, and we looked at the big picture of the book, that Jesus is Lord over all. We talked about how Jesus is supreme and his gospel is sufficient. Jesus plus nothing is what we talked about. And my prayer for this series in Colossians as we lead through it is that it inspires us, that it challenges us to both elevate our view of Jesus uh, as Lord over all, but also that it would challenge us to just see what does it mean to follow Jesus in all of life. If Jesus is Lord over all, would we follow him in all of life? This is where we're heading this summer. This is where we got dialed up, and I cannot wait. And, and speaking of summer, I got baseball on the mind a little bit because this weekend, for the baseball fans, you know what's going on, all of three of us. Uh, you've got the All-Star Game coming up in a couple days. Tomorrow is the Home Run Derby. And so let's have some fun with this for a second. One of the greatest baseball players ever was a pitcher named Mariano Rivera. He was a closer for the New York Yankees, and before all the Intel engineers tuned me out, let me just tell you what a closer does. So a starter is a pitcher who starts the game. A closer closes or finishes the game. So that one's for free. Uh, they're the ones who come in in the most high leverage of situations. When the game's on the line, the final inning, who's going to secure the win and get those final outs? And Mariano Rivera was the best to ever do that. I actually found out that Mariano Rivera, he's, he's a strong believer, and he actually has put on, helped put on some of the Palau events, which is super, super encouraging. But uh, here's a fun fact about Mariano Rivera. More people have walked on the moon than have scored a run off of Mariano Rivera in the playoffs. Not a lot of them, right? Like I don't know about you. I haven't met anybody who's walked on the moon. Uh, Rivera was unquestionably the greatest closer in baseball history. And I would argue, had the greatest walk-up music in the history of baseball as well. Uh, every time he came into pitch, you can go to that photo. And what you do uh, in baseball is you come in out of the outfield. So every time he came into pitch, Inner Sandman by Metallica plays. So I just want us to set the mood here for a second. So, yeah, we got it. We got it here. All right. So he would come on in, and you would take this run all the way from the outfield, all the way from where the pitchers warm up, all the way into the pitcher's mound. And this music starts playing in. And you can just set the scene here, right? You got the lights, you got the music, you got the fans, they're going nuts. You got the local announcers, they're hyping him up. It was awesome. It was awesome. This, this walk-up music told you something. It told you that somebody important is entering the game. Someone has entered the room that's in the, you're in the presence of greatness. You don't do this for some scrub. You don't like play all this music for like, eh, it's a backup second baseman's here. Like, you knew you were in the presence of someone important. They were entering the room. And as much as I would like to keep this playing for the whole message, because that would be really fun for me, we're going to bring that down. It would at least be memorable. Today, what we're looking at is I w maybe, arguably, the greatest walk-up, pump-up, get-excited, hype song of all time in Colossians 1, 15-20, as it epically proclaims Jesus, as it epically introduces us to Jesus. We got somebody greater than Mariana Rivera here. We are introduced to Jesus the Christ. And this is actually a poem, this section of scripture that we're about to read. In the original Greek, it was a poem. And what are song lyrics but poetry, right? 
And we think about the, this original, this text in church history has been called the Christ hymn. So I, I don't feel like I'm that far off by calling it, calling it some of this stuff. Theologians have said about this passage, just to set the stage, these six verses, the most famous of the letter, are rightly reckoned among the most important Christological passages in the New Testament. Elsewhere, of all the Bible's teaching about Christ, none is more significant than this. So this morning, I, what I want to just start this time out with is, is reading it aloud together, this, this important text. So I want to read it together in one voice, but also I want to invite us actually right now to stand. I want to invite us to stand together as a reminder of our reverence and respect for God and for his word. So let's read this together in one voice. Let's throw it on the screen. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's read it together. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I just want to pray as we dive into this incredible text this morning. Jesus, thank you for this text this morning that tells us who you are. God, you are great. You are glorious. You are above. You are the supreme one. And Lord, I pray that you would use these next few minutes that we have together to help us elevate our view of you, to see you rightly as the Lord over all. Spirit of God, would you empower me to teach a message that's helpful and give us all ears to hear, give us eyes to see you for who you truly are, Jesus supreme. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so the message today, church, the big idea is that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme. He is above. He is before. He is greater. He is better. He is Lord over all. So three areas. If you're taking notes, I got three uh, uh, movements for us this morning. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Jesus is supreme. First, he is Lord over creation. He is Lord over creation. If you're taking notes there, he is Lord over creation. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We're just going to walk through this line by line. He is the, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This first get, verse gives us two pictures of Jesus, and both are important, but they are nuanced. Uh, this, this text, as we just read it, it is not full of fluff. It is a dense, just fully packed, not a single word wasted. And so we got a lot that we're going to look at here today. Are you with me? You ready to dive in? All right. So this first image is, is important but nuanced. So the first round is, is around the image of God. That's the first picture Paul gives. And see, while the first pages of the Bible, the image of God, if you've been around church, you've heard us talk about the image of God before. The first pages of the Bible tell us that we as humans are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, which means we have inherent dignity and worth. As, as all humans, there's an inherent value that comes because we're made in the image of God. But Jesus is uniquely the image of God. There's a difference. We're made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. I'm called to live in a way, you're called, we are called to live in a way that shows what God is like. I'm called to do this. 
but I cannot say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I cannot say that. I gotta say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If I do that, I'm a heretic, and I'm a crazy person, and this should be the last time I ever stand on this stage teaching this book. If I say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That is not, that is not the case. But Jesus said this. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And now Paul backs it up here in Colossians 1. Jesus has made the invisible God visible. Jesus is the image of God and shows us what true divinity looks like. He shows the true picture of divinity. Only in Jesus can we fully understand who God truly is. This is the ultimate pump-up hype song introducing us to Jesus because from the first words, Paul is saying that Jesus is God, which means he is supreme. Jesus is God. The second picture he gives, so Jesus is the image of God. But Paul also gives here in verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So you just got to stop for a second. What, what is Paul getting at here? What does this mean that he's the firstborn? What is this language talking about? Because on the surface, it may seem like what Paul's saying is that Jesus is secondary to God, that he was actually a created being. You, you could interpret it that way, but that's not at all what Paul is saying here. See, this firstborn language is about Jesus having the status of a firstborn child in the ancient Near East. It was about the status of a firstborn son who was primary or supreme in getting the father's inheritance. As, as a firstborn son, I think we've lost our way a bit, and we need to get back uh, to, this, to this thing, especially as my younger brother is here. I just want to make sure that we're saying we've got to get back to the firstborn child. Uh, our text says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Paul is saying that Jesus' rightful inheritance and claim is over all things. His lordship is over the whole world, and he is supreme over all of creation. And the only one who can say that is God. The only one who can say, my inheritance is the entire universe, is God. The one who can say, I am over everything, seen and unseen, is God. So let's go down a, a rabbit trail together the, the, this, this morning. See, the church from its very inception had to address false views and wrong interpretations of Colossians 1. Theology matters. See, a man named Arius in about 300 AD tried to say that Jesus, sure, was the Son of God, sure. But he was a created lesser being from God. In response to this heresy, a council of Nicaea was gathered and the Nicene Creed was written, which has been a standard confession of all Christians, global and historic, crossing every denominational line. And it proclaims this about Jesus. We can go to the next slide. He says, this is who Jesus is. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. This confession makes something clear. Jesus is really God. Jesus is really God. And you might be sitting here thinking, Stephen, uh, thanks for the history lesson. Um, where are you going? <laughs> what is the point of this? Why are you belaboring this point? Uh, I, I mean, Arius has been dead for 1,700 years, man. Like, who's struggling like, with this? Like, who, who really believes that Jesus, sure, he's the son of God, but he's a created lesser being? Like, wh where are you going? Why does this matter? I think that's a fair question to have in this auditorium today. But I would confess to you why I'm bringing this up. Why is this important? This is the very doctrine of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. This is, this is their very doctrine. And I've had many people ask me as a pastor, well, how should I view these groups? Are they Christians? That's a, a common question. Like, are, are these Christians? I would say, no, 
They're not Christians because they have an incompatible view of Christ. An incompatible view of Christ. We love our Mormon and Jehovah's Witness neighbors. But they believe in a person named Jesus, but it's not the real one of the Bible. And so we would encourage our Mormon and Jehovah's Witness to turn to the Jesus of Scripture, the one who is true God of true God. See, a false version of God, a false version of the gospel, a false version of Jesus cannot save. So in love we say, turn to the true Jesus, the true gospel, the true God of true God. Church family, theology matters. Getting Colossians 1 right matters. Are you with me? This stuff matters. Theology shapes everyday life. It shapes how we view the world. It really matters. That's verse 15. Let's keep looking at verse 16 now. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. This song, this, this pump up, this get excited, this hype song introducing us to Jesus continues as Paul keeps moving on here. And Paul's goal in this letter, as we talked about last week, is to help the Colossians have a mature view of Jesus, especially in light of false teachers. So Paul says, all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. Jesus is the creator king who rules and reigns and is Lord over the totality of creation. And he could have just said that, period, moved on. But he lingers here for a bit in verse 16 to make sure we understand this. He says Jesus is the creator and Lord over every place in the world, heaven and earth. Also, he's Lord over everything in the world overall, visible and invisible. But he's also Lord over every power in this world. we got to pause here for a second. What, what is Paul getting at here? But what are these powers? The question is, like then and today, what are the powers? And they're, they're multifaceted. If you're taking notes, there's, there's a lot of different aspects here. I'm going to look at four. The powers are the first political and economic structures and systems of this world that dehumanize and oppress. The political and economic systems and structures that, that dehumanize and oppress. They're second, the cultural ways of the world that seduce and deceive. They're third, they're, they're false religions and false philosophies and paganism and a spirituality apart from the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, I'm just a spiritual person, but I don't follow Jesus. I don't have the spirit of Jesus. It's actually a very dangerous proposition. And lastly, these powers also include the demonic or angelic beings. So just want to pause. we've got to color this in a little bit. Paul lingers here to combat false teachers in Colossae, so I'm going to linger here as well. What Paul is saying is that Jesus is over. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is above. Jesus is greater than every single power. Church family, Jesus is above the White House. Jesus is above the White House. Jesus is above the Kremlin. He's above Parliament, and he is above every throne. He is above Hollywood, he is above Silicon Valley, and he's above the human trafficking rings that move in the dark shadows of our worlds. He is, he is above the, the, the global economy, he is above the Dome of the Rock and every other uh, false religion's holy site. He's above uh, the witchcraft shops that litter our local community. He's above the systems of sin that impact us today. Jesus is even stronger than the devil, the demonic, and the devil himself. These powers have strength. Let us not be foolish. They have strength. They're called powers for a reason. 
They still cause pain. They still cause deception today. But they are no rival to Jesus. They are no rival. Did we sing the song? I think we're going to sing it after the method. You have no rival. You have no equal. Jesus, you are supreme. You have no rival. And the good news is not just that. But it's that one day Jesus, as the supreme Lord over all creation, he is going to return and he is going to eradicate every sinful and evil power when he returns and makes all things new. Amen? That's the good news of Colossians 1. Verse 16, Douglas Moo, the theologian, we quoted him a lot last week. He says this, Christ stands at the beginning of the universe as the one through whom it came into being. And he stands at its end as the goal of the universe. I just want to pause there. Take that in for a second. Verse 16 says, all things exist for Jesus. Like he is the goal of the universe. The universe exists for Jesus. It doesn't exist for me. It doesn't exist for you. It exists for Christ. It's incredible. Moo goes on, for those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors. They know that their Redeemer is also creator, ruler, and goal of it all. Church family, let, it, let me pastor us for a second here. What's this good news? Jesus being Lord over all creation means we don't need to be afraid of who's going to get elected next November. We don't need to be afraid of what the inflation rate is going to look like next month. We don't need to fear what AI could mean for the future. We don't need to fear dark spiritual forces of the world. We don't have to fear what policy gets voted in our backyard here in Washington County. For Jesus is Lord over his creation. He is the Lord over all creation. In verse 17, there's another layer of why we don't need to fear. He creates all, but also, verse 17, he sustains all of his creation as well. Let's look at uh, the back half of verse 16 one more time in verse 17. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, Jesus, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Let's unpack this here for a second. Jesus is before all things. He is the eternal creator of all things and is the sustainer of all things. In him, all things hold together. Mu goes on to say this. It'll be up on the screen. What holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person, the resurrected Christ. Without him, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work and the planets would not stay in their orbits. I just want to pause here for a second. Jesus is not merely some moral teacher, some inspirational figure, or even merely a personal savior. He is the creator of all. and He's the one who literally holds the entire universe, the cosmos, together. He is the sustainer of all things. Paul wants us to have a mature view of Jesus and a mature view of Jesus says he is the sustainer, the one who holds everything together. See, Mu goes on. The Colossian Christians were perhaps being tempted to find coherence by pursuing other religious options. And in response, Paul wants them to understand that things make sense only when Christ is kept at the center. Read that last part again. Things make sense only when Christ is kept at the center. See, if Jesus is the creator, and if Jesus is the sustainer of life, then he knows how life works best. If Jesus is the one who holds all things together, then apart from him, you're on the path to falling apart. If Jesus is the one who holds all things together, then apart from him, you're on the path to falling apart. Some of us are exhausted in this room. 
because we're trying to find life apart from Jesus and it isn't working. But some of us are also exhausted in this room because we're trying to be the sustainer of our lives instead of Jesus and it isn't working as well. Some of us feel this this morning. Maybe part of the anxiety and exhaustion that plagues our generation is because we're trying to carry a weight we were never meant to nor asked to carry. Some of you, you're exhausted this morning. You're exhausted this morning. Because you're trying to hold your life together and be the sustainer of all things in your life. Some of us, we're trying to do it all. We're trying to hold our, our work, our, our kids' activities, our, our budget, our 401k. We need to make sure, how's our retirement looking in this economy that's going up and down, up and down? We, how's our relationship status? How's a, my image management going? Like, social media following? Am I now going to get on threads and do that whole thing? Like, what are we doing here? Like, personal health, career trajectory, like, vocational fulfillment. Am I making a difference in the world? Does this stuff matter? Like, how's my kids' health? How's my personal health? How's my mental health? How's my relationships? Like, am I keeping up with those old friends? Like, how's my kids' school choices? Am I making the wrong one? Am I emotionally available to my children? Are you tired yet? Did I forget anything? And the thousand other things that you're trying to manage. So maybe today your response needs to be coming forward in a bit to meet with God and surrender control of your life to him as the sustainer of all things, including your life. Here's the thing. You can't sustain your life. You can't sustain your life, but Jesus can. And it's not just that he sustains your life. That's way too small of a job description for him. He sustains life itself. He sustains life itself. The bad news is we can't, but the good news is he can. Big picture today. Jesus is supreme. He is above. He is before. He is greater. He is better. First, of creation. That's the first movement we just looked at. For in him, all things are held together. In him, all things were made. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things because he is Lord over all creation. Uh, but number two, he is Lord over new creation as well. This one's going to move a little faster. I'm not on pace for a nine-hour message this morning, although Colossians 1 is dense enough. We could make it. Uh, we could make it, but I, I assure you we're not going to go quite that long. Uh, he is Lord over new creation, number two. Colossians 1, 18. Look with me. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This poem, it makes a, a shift here. The, the song uh, goes to verse 2, if you will. We were looking at creation as we're singing this anthem for Jesus, this, this hype-up song, this pump-up song. Jesus goes to verse 2. We make a shift from creation to new creation, verse 2. And we see here again in the second verse the, the language of firstborn again. But here, it's this time, it's from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. Firstborn earlier in the text was about Jesus' supreme lordship over uh, all things. But here is about his supremacy in bringing about the first fruits of a new creation. What do I mean? Jesus is the firstborn here because he is the first resurrected from the dead. Jesus is firstborn because he's the first resurrected from the dead. His death marks the end of the old, and his resurrection marks the beginning of the new. His death marks the end of the old, his resurrection marks the beginning of the new. Are you with me? New creation, new life. That's the first fruits of new creation. New life, new birth. 
and trusting in him as the firstborn for you and I leads to us being born again. This language is consistent. See, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians in five, chapter 5, verse 17, he puts it this way. It'll be up on the screen. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The new is here. New creation has come. Has come. Apart from Jesus, we were dead. Apart from Jesus, we, we were lost. But good news, he is the resurrection of the life. He is the firstborn of the dead. So we trust in him and we are made new creations as well. We are made new creations by the firstborn of the dead because he is Lord over new creation. He is Lord over new creation. See, in Jesus' original creation, we see him creating people, right? Adam and Eve. But in Jesus' new creation, he creates a new people as well, the church. Again, verse 2 makes a, a pivot here. Jesus is creating in his new creation a new people, the church. And Paul uses imagery uh, that the church uh, the, the, is this global and historic people, uh, of which God says that the people in Colossae and the people of Hillsborough were all a part of this. This, this new creation, it's, it's a body. This is a familiar image if you're familiar with the church, that, that the, the, this people is a body and Jesus is the head. That Jesus is the head. Jesus is head of his church. He's head of his church universal. He is the one who reigns supreme over the church universal. And he is head of this church in particular as well, here at 26 West. The head of this church is not me. It is not Jose. It is not any one of the elders. The head of this church is Jesus. The head of his church is Christ. And Paul uses this famous image of Jesus being the head and the body is the church. And I want to pause here for a minute. Because again, the Colossian false teachers were likely arguing that genuine spiritual experience and life could be found outside of Jesus and the church. So Paul uses this image of body and head to say that fulfillment and life can only be found connected to Jesus and the church together. They cannot be separated. And I think we need to receive this word in 2023 as well. I think we need this image afresh. And so what I want to do is look at two errors. It'll be up here on the screen. There are two errors we want to, we want to look at here that Paul is going to correct for us. First, some of us want Jesus without the body, Jesus without the church. You cannot say, I want Jesus. I want to grow in Jesus. I want to experience life in Jesus. Like I want to experience fullness in Jesus, but I, I, I'm not interested in the church. No thank you to the church. See, I want us to be just candid here for a moment. It's very in vogue right now. It's very popular to say you're interested in following Jesus, but not be at all interested and have no intention to be in real community, real accountability, real transparency, and real proximity of the church body. See, TikTok, Instagram, we could talk to youth on a Wednesday night. They're teeming with exvangelical and deconstruction movements. I don't have time to get into what all of this means, and this is just a common narrative that, that is championing this, this error, that you can have Jesus and be alive without the body. But I have, some, I have some bad news for this viewpoint. Jesus, the head, will not be severed from his body, the church. He loves his church. He died for his church. He gave up his life for his church. And at the end of the day, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as a decapitated discipleship. Like, Jesus will not be severed from his church. Jesus will not be separated from his body. 
So that's one error. The second error is we want the church without Jesus. We want the body. We feel like, man, I, I want the community. I want the family. I want life. I want friends. I, I want morals. I want my kids to grow up with, you know, some strong convictions and, you know, some good morals. I want meaning. I want acceptance. You know, literally, I, I'm here to find a, a relationship with somebody. I trust that they're probably a decent enough person. Like, some of us are looking for the body, but you, you don't feel like you need the head that is Christ. And I want to tell you, like, this is equally flawed. Feeling like, hey, I'm here for the, the, the perks of Jesus' people, but I'm not that interested in Jesus. Wanting the body without the head. This is equally, equally flawed. And I'll give you a, a fun fact about me. I grew up rural. Grew up in a small town, more cows than people, it sure felt like. And uh, the most, this is probably the most rural story that I have about me. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is probably one of the most rural things about me. I, uh, with my grandfather, who, who actually uh, uh, passed away. And this is, this is like a core memory of mine. Or I'll actually probably say it's more like a core scarring of mine uh, based on remembering this. So uh, we're, we're in his back. He had a big red barn in the back. And uh, he, he brings out a chicken. And he's got a stump. And he has an axe in his hand. And he said, we're going to kill this chicken. And I, I don't know what I pictured was going to happen, but it surely wasn't what actually happened. Like, it all happens really fast. You just go, boom! You know, this, this, and I'm like, I'm sitting here like, what's about to happen, right? And uh, this chicken just starts taking off running. You know, it's just going, it's blood, you know, squirting out the, the, where the head used to be. And it's, I'm just sitting here shell-shocked, like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, like, 10-year-old me is just like, what is happening? Like, like a zombie chicken is still alive, you know? And here's the deal. Like, that chicken... Like, kind of looks alive. It's running around. Like, it's not just laying there. Like, it's running around. If you were across the street looking, be like, there's a chicken running around over there. Like, you know, it kind of looks alive for a second. Squint your eyes hard enough. You might be confused that that's a, a live chicken. But it's dead. We ate it eventually, right? Like, it's, it's not, it's not going to last. It's not going to run like that indefinitely. Eventually, that sucker's dead. There is no life separated from the head, which is Christ. There is no life severed from Jesus. And at the end of the day, church family, like, we cannot experience life and growth and fullness apart from Jesus and his church. Some of you aren't with me. You're still thinking of the chicken. Like, <laughs> come back with me. I'm making I wasn't just a cute story. We're making a point. Come back with me. I can hear you. All right, you're back. All right. At the end of the day, church family, we cannot experience life and growth and fullness apart from Jesus and his church. Like, like the head and the body, they cannot be separated. Are you with me? Are you with me? All right, here we go. Let's keep moving. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's keep looking here uh, in these two verses. Jesus is the image of God. And all of God's fullness now, Paul says, dwells in Jesus. I'm not going to belabor this point. Paul's saying he is, he is true God of true God. He is Lord of new creation. And then Paul says in verse 20, as you see there, through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. This is saying that there is nothing in creation. There is no sphere of life that is outside of Jesus' lordship and scope of reconciliation. There is nothing in life. There is no aspect of life that is outside of his lordship and his scope of reconciliation. This phrase is significant. Reconcile to himself all things. 
reconcile to himself all things. I would argue the entire biblical story is one of the reconciliation of all things. The entire biblical story is one of the reconciliation of all things. Think back with me to the Garden of Eden. There's going to be an image up here on the screen. That Think back to the Garden of Eden. And you, have, you have Adam and Eve made in the image of God, and everything was perfect. Everything was right. Everything was the way things were supposed to be. They had a right relationship with God. They could walk with Him. There was no sin to separate them from God. They actually walked with God. We're with God. No separation. They had, they had peace with God. They had peace within themselves. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no insecurity. They're at peace with themselves. They're at peace with one another. There's no marital strife. There's no disagreements, right? There was no uh, underhanded comments. There was no passive-aggressive statements. There was no murder. There, there, was no, there was no division with others. There was no racism. There was no prejudice. They're at peace. And also, there was peace not just with God, not just with themselves, not just with others, but also with the created order itself, with creation, work, was meaningful and true and given by God. Work is not a product of sin. It is not a curse of the fall. God gave work as, as a good thing to honor him and to find meaning and joy in life. And we see things are the way they're supposed to be in Genesis 1. But then Adam and Eve, they don't want to be under God's authority. They want to be in authority. They want, to, they want to find their own way. And they choose not to live under the good rule and reign of God. And they say, we'll take it from here. All things are fractured. All that was made whole is fractured. We see the relationship with God is fractured. There's separation. There's sin. There's division that needs to be bridged and gapped. You see that there's, there's brokenness within them. Now we see depression, anxiety. We see mental health disease. We see that we, we are not at peace within ourselves. We see a division that happens interpersonally. We see in the, literally the next chapters after they sin, Cain's killing Abel. We see interpersonal. We see the, the very ground itself. Where there was once flourishing, there's now uh, thorns and thistles and difficulty and death and despair. And the good news is that what God created to be good and flourishing and whole, that got fractured because of sin. Jesus is in the business of reconciling all things to himself. So Jesus is on mission to get us back as sons and daughters of God, to reconcile us back to God. Amen and amen and amen. We can, we can be friends of God because of Jesus' death on the cross. He's here to put the pieces back together to make us whole. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He's putting us back together. But he's also bringing peace and reconciliation, not just with God, but within myself. Also with others. He's forming a new people. That's why we're here, the church. And we see him bringing reconciliation, redemption, even in the created order itself. All things, reconciliation in heaven and on earth. And what we see in the last pages of Scripture, where God's great mission is headed, is we will see all four of these relationships that we all have finally put right and restored and fully reconciled once again. We will one day get to dwell with God, and it will be glorious. And there'll be no more sin or death or despair. He is making all things new. But also we see there'll be no more anxiety or mental health disorder. And that's good news for my son who has a brain disease, that these things are going to get eradicated. There'll be no more inner war within. We also see that around the throne of God is a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, unity in diversity. God is making a global, uh, historic family from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
gathered, united in Jesus. And we also see not just that we're whisked away to some spiritual place, but we actually see heaven descending down to earth as he redeems and reconciles and restores all things. The biblical story is one of the reconciliation of all things. God loves us enough. He's not after the scraps of our lives. He's not just after part of our lives. He's after the whole of our lives. See, this reconciliation of all things is good news for the whole person in the whole world say it again. This reconciliation of all things is good news for the whole person and for the whole world. Amen? Jesus is Lord over all. Lord over all. Back to our text. Reconciling to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I alluded to this earlier, but Jesus is the Lord over reconciliation, uh, the fruit of new creation. He's Lord over it. And the only way any of this, recon- do, do not miss this, the only way any of this reconciliation, this redemption, this restoration, this salvation and good news is possible, the only way is through Jesus and his cross. There's no other way. He is the way. And here at the cross, where we see that this, this verse coming to a close, here at the cross, this epic poem comes to a close. The, the hype uh, pump-up song, this, this let me introduce you to Jesus in all of his glory. It concludes, Jesus is supreme. He is Lord over creation, and he's Lord over new creation. The poem ends, but Paul, he has an outro, if you will, before he moves on to his uh, new stream of thought, which we'll get to next week. But he has this outro here of a couple last verses for the Colossians. Look with me at verses 21 to 22. He says this, verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Paul is reminding them, as this poem comes to a close, he's reminding them of the gospel and bringing together all the themes uh, from this opening chapter of Colossians. As theologian Morna Hooker helps connect the dots uh, really helpfully, uh, Paul is saying, once you were alienated, once you were Once you were alienated, but now, once, but now, you have been reconciled and have an inheritance. Once you were alienated, and now you are reconciled and have an inheritance. Once you were guilty, but now you are free from accusation or blemish. See, once you were hostile in mind, but now you are growing in the knowledge of God, your creator. See, once you were full of evil behavior, but now you are bearing fruit in good works in all of life. See, see, once you were in the domain of darkness, as we talked about last week, once you were in the domain of darkness, but now you have been rescued and transferred into the kingdom of light. Once you were enemies, once you were hostile to God, once you were an enemy, but now you have been made beloved. You've been adopted as beloved sons and daughters of God, and God is our Father. And it is all because of Jesus, only because of Jesus. For Jesus is the Lord of reconciliation, the Lord of salvation, and the Lord of new creation. Amen? This is who he is. Big picture. Paul is saying that the Lord who reconciled you is the same Lord who created you. The Lord who reconciled you is the same one who created you, for he is Lord over creation and new creation as well. But in our last movement this morning, I have a question for you. He is Lord over these things. You can go to the next slide. But third, is he Lord over you? He is Lord over creation. He is Lord over new creation. But the question is, is he Lord over me? Is he Lord over you? 
Look there at these, these last couple of verses, 22 and then 23. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a servant. See, Paul, after giving verse after verse after verse of encouragement and promises and good news in the gospel, he gives a warning in verse 23. All of this beautiful good news, if, all these promises, if, you continue in your faith and do not move on from the gospel. This does not contradict anything Paul has said already in this letter. God's grace is unconditional. You can't earn it. You can't earn his grace. But this grace is not cheap. You cannot confidently sit here and be assured, I'm in Christ, if you're not committed to following him. If you're not committed to changing your life around him. If you're not committed to having your allegiance to him as Lord over all. If you're not interested in this, there isn't the assurance. And I'm not talking about perfectly. I'm not saying we're doing this perfect. None of us can say that. But in faith, even when we fail, turning to Jesus, we show ourselves to be God's children by day in and day out, year in and year out, through the trials and the pain, through the blessings and the joy, through stumbling and striding, decade in and decade out, abiding in Christ, continuing in our faith, and not moving on from the gospel. I think the image of the suspension bridge that I've, I've shared here is helpful. God gives his promises. Picture a suspension bridge. You've got two rails and you've got a path. He gives one guardrail. He gives promises to keep us from falling off the edge into discouragement. He gives us these promises we can hold on to. You don't be discouraged. You have these promises. But he also gives us another guardrail simultaneously of warnings to keep us from falling over the edge of presumption or arrogance or pride. So we hold on to both the promises and the warnings to help us walk in the ways of his commands, to actually walk out what he's calling us to do. We need both. Any good parent knows you love your kids. You love them unconditionally. But that love requires both a promise and a warning. And God gives us this loving warning to help us walk as his children in the hope of the gospel. Paul is imploring with the Colossians in the strongest of terms, and I implore with us today, church family, do not move on from Jesus and his gospel. Do not move on from Jesus and his gospel. So in closing, if Jesus is Lord over all, that means we're not, which means we've got to let go of control over our lives. Just as we, as we get into the, a time of response here, does, does our time, does our calendar, does our money, does our allegiance, does our affection, does our decision-making and dreams show that he is Lord or me? Does my life show that he is Lord over it, or does it look like I am? So church family, where is Jesus inviting you right now to surrender, to let go of control, and let him lead and be Lord of your life? Let's accept his invitation today, church family, and receive him as he truly is, Lord over all. Jesus is supreme. He is Lord over creation. As the creator and sustainer of all things, he is Lord over new creation, as head of the church and the reconciler of all things. 
But the question is, is he Lord over you? And we can answer here today. We can answer in in conviction and say, yes, he is Lord over me. But we will truly answer this question with our lives for the rest of our days. So let's spur each other on. Let's let's sing this this pump-up song to introducing us. Let's sing the song to one another to live in alignment with the reality that Jesus is the supreme Lord over all. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are Lord over all, that there is nothing that challenges you. You have no rival. I thank you that you're Lord over it all. We, we face no terror because you are Lord and you are supreme. Thank you that you reconcile every single part of our lives. There's nothing that's outside of your scope. You're Lord over it all. But I also thank you that your grace runs deep. That we're going to fail tomorrow, we're going to fail the next day, and we're going to fail the day after that to live this stuff out. And your grace is waiting there for us. It never runs out. It never runs out until we can keep coming back to you and prove to be your children as we keep coming back to you in this life. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your lordship. I thank you for this text that beautifully and epically proclaims that you are supreme, Jesus. Would you use this meager attempts at teaching to inspire us to see you as you rightly are, Lord over all. Spirit of God, help us now respond to your word. In your name, amen. Church family, we're going to move into a time of response. Again, we say this often, the gospel is not advice, take it or leave it. It is a response. It's good news that must be responded to. And we respond up front. I'm going to invite you actually to stand right now. We're, we're going to sing right where we're at because Jesus is worthy to be praised. He's the supreme one. He, he's worthy. We should, we should sing loudly. God's in the room right now. He's everywhere. He's here. Let's sing to him loudly and proclaim who he is. Let's honor him with our with our thank you for listening to this episode of our sunday gathering podcast to learn more about 26 west church please visit our website at 26westchurch.org